Hello and welcome to Success Secret Nation to this new episode of the Success Secret Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Chris Lalumia. He's a successful entrepreneur that has built on his experience working with the largest companies in America to start his own business from scratch. He brings his unique style of leadership to build a culture of professionalism in the blue-collar world of home renovations. He left the corporate zoo and ventured into the entrepreneurial world and started the Trusted Tool Box, a home repair and project back in 2008. Yes, he started the business right before the Great Recession. He survived that time and has grown his business into a multi-million dollar handyman and remodeling company. I am sure you will get an amazing insights and information learning from Chris. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the show and follow the show and leave a review on iTunes. It would be much appreciated so it can reach more people. Thank you. What happens? Why do when we go outside of corporate? Why do we want to have our own wild adventure, as you call it? Right. For me, uh, I would tell you that uh, I, I I've always wanted to run my own business uh, since the time I was 17. But um, I took off from uh, the university at, after I got my master's in mechanical engineering and went to work in manufacturing, and had a pretty successful run. And I I stayed in the corporate America world because it was comfortable. Uh, I had the 401k, I had the healthcare benefits, I was able to gain success pretty early on. But I didn't feel uh, like I was completely challenged. I wasn't using my whole brain. I was only using um, a very small part of it. And and I felt like I wasn't really doing things for the greater good. When I say greater good, trying to find your why, it wasn't that I was trying to solve world hunger or come up with world peace or, or, or try to give back to the world. What I just meant was I, I just didn't feel like I was making an impact on as many people as I, I thought I could. Mm. So I uh, I was restless. Uh, I was 37 at the time when I when I started the company. I started a handyman business. I left the wild world of finance, which it's not wild. It's banking, so it's uh, pretty conservative. <laughs> yeah, you can't that. Okay. Yeah, I knew you knew that. So I I left and started a handyman uh, business. And today, 14 years later, I now have 32 employees. We do uh, small stuff around the house, but we also do full scale remodeling, such as bathrooms and kitchens and decks. And I like that uh, I got a chance to bet on me and uh, see if I could actually do what I thought I could do. And um, you could say that I'm a, I'm a success, uh, definitely not an overnight success. Uh, it was a lot of bumping, rumbling, stumbling, falling in pits, getting crushed, you know, out in the uh, wild world of running your own business. Mm. But now I look at it and go, I, I feel, I feel like I, it, it was worth it, mm. but it was so- tough. So, but but why did you decided to go and make this leap? And you decided that it's worth it. Is it about let's say the money, or like you mentioned, also there's an impact? And what do you mean exactly by impacting people? Do you want to help more people be be better in whatever that you are doing? So I wanted to make more of an impact on people in their lives and and see a tangible benefit. Uh, now I have 32 employees. But literally, I have 64, uh, and you could probably say uh, that most of them have two children. So now I'm impacting uh, 32 families. When we work in people's houses, I know that we're doing it the right way and, and doing things correctly. And you get to see that self-satisfaction of knowing that you brought to uh, brought to these people a, a well-run company that's doing things the right way. So that that satisfaction meant a lot. Yeah, I thought I was going to make a lot of money. Uh, don't don't 
sugarcoat it. Um, my projections and my pro forma were completely off. Uh, my net percentages were completely wrong. Uh, basically, I was running not, not even half of what my net was in my pro formas. It's uh, even less. Uh, it's a pretty razor thin business and you've got to run it really tight to be able to do and do the things you want to do successfully. But for me, it was to make that jump. Um, you know, I often say that we run from pain uh, and, and go to pleasure. Uh, I tell people don't ever run away from something, run to something. Uh, mm -hmm. But what started this movement for me was I just had a really bad boss. He was driving me nuts, uh, making my life miserable. We, we, all we, all, had... we all have that one person, at least one. <laughs> Right. We all have that one boss hole, as they like to say uh, <laughs> here. And uh, he he got me uh, charged up so much that I went, that's it. I just I can't live like this anymore. I have to go be out and be my own guy. Mm, yeah, exactly. So so when you were going through the journey in the beginning, what did you define as success for you when you were starting out? Did you define it by the numbers of profits and money coming in? Or did you define it by, for example, how many people you are working with? What exactly, how did you see yourself as a success? That's a great question. My definition of success in the beginning, um, coming from the banking world like you are, I, I really track numbers. Uh, and so my success was top line revenue. Uh, my success was um, gross profit. And then my next success was uh, the net profit. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to grow, uh, and I invested in it. Uh, so I wanted to break even within 16 months. Uh, I wanted to have, to get to the numbers I wanted to, I needed to have six uh, technicians, six handymen working for me. And that was my beginning. Uh, so I didn't make it in 16 months. I was completely wrong. It took me almost 24 months to start breaking even uh, because I started right before the big recession in 2008. Uh, that's right when I started the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that didn't work. Uh, my top line was growing uh, like I thought. Literally, I was behind. I had a five-year growth plan that I had developed in my pro forma, and I was behind by about two years. At the end of five years, I was behind about one year. So that made me feel good on the top line. It made me feel good at uh, at the number of people I had. I was not feeling too good about my gross profit and my net profit, though, <laughs> which are the big numbers sometimes. So you were beginning at that time when the 2008 uh, real estate market in the U.S. happened and uh, obviously affected the whole world at the time. Why did you think this is now a good time to start a business when there is a lot of things are going wrong in the economy in the States and maybe globally at the time? And did you see yourself a success at the time because all of these are happening at the same time? It did not feel successful at the time. Uh, when you look back on it, and you know, I wrote a book, uh, and it's called From the Zoo to the Wild. But the reason I started writing that book and publishing it was I kept making jokes. When I write my book, I'm going to tell people you should start during a recession because if you can handle <laughs> it then, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, let me tell you, it makes it really hard. And uh, right now in the U.S. here in 2022, we're looking at uh, technically while we're in a recession, things are looking pretty mild in as terms of how it's happening. I would say it's still a good time uh, to to think about starting because uh, if you can get your business operating correctly and get it where you want it to be and watch your numbers that in theory, uh, and this is what happened to me as the economy started to come back in uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, I started to really start to rise up as well. And that's where I started to, I started to really start to rise above the rest of the uh, people mm. doing the work we do. Yeah. So when you started back with the, with all these, chaos i think maybe 
So did you have some kind of a plan? Did you put a plan written? Or do you have someone helping you at the time? Were you alone doing it? Uh, how did you plan turned out after like, let's say, you mentioned 18 months, but how did you see it going at the time of the plan, if you have one? So I had a plan. Uh, I still have the original business plan that I wrote. Um, I actually put this in my book. I think everybody should have a business plan, not because you need to write a paper and get a grade on it, and hopefully you pass the test. It's that you can use this to bounce off uh, great questions, off great people, and get great advice. And I did that. So I felt like I had a good plan um, where I, like I told you, where I missed was the pro forma, but I really was able to nail down the right marketing strategy, uh, the right go-to-market strategy, coming up with the right name, with the right logo, uh, it's called the Trusted Toolbox uh, here in Atlanta, uh, which worked out pretty well. So after, uh, I, and I do this every year, I always go back and relook at my business plan and I now look out three years. Uh, I look at one year and then I look at quarterly because now I have a team in place that has to work on it. I want to rally them around those goals as well. I, I was uh, I was optimistic um, and I felt good about the top line. I felt good about the processes. I felt good about the technology I was putting in place to get me where I wanted to be. Um, I was just doing a really crappy job of estimating and selling jobs. I was good at selling them. I was really bad at pricing them. And so that meant my margins were even worse than they were supposed yeah. to be. Uh, you, you, you have to, to put that. You have to adapt with them. But this is the good thing about having a plan. The plan is not supposed to be, it's not, I think it's about, it's a success or a failure. It's there to have a roadmap. And this roadmap, you can direct it as as you like going along you can adapt with time after for example six months you're not seeing it working with certain strategy or tactic you can amend it and work with something different right this is the beauty of the plan that it's not static it should be flexible exactly right um i've i've heard people use this concept i did not do it and that is uh, establish a board of directors and people who hold you accountable for staying to your plan and so I didn't have that necessarily, but I do have three very close mentors. And what I would do is I would update my plan and then I would go back and I would ask the guy who was really good with financials to review the financials. Here was my plan. This is what I'm doing. And that's where I was able to get the feedback that, well, dude, you're just not charging enough, man. And you're not going to make any money if you keep that up. You got to raise your rates. You got to raise the way you're doing things. That's one. On marketing, I had a really good person who was helping me with that uh, along the way as well. And I would say, okay, this is where I spent money this year. Uh, to grow the business. And this is what I'm going to do going forward. And he said, you know, you might want to talk to these people. And I've had to shift and pivot as I've started. You know, 14 years ago, Google was not the size it is today. Uh, 14 years ago, uh, phone books were still going pushed out here in the US. Um, and today we have no phone books and Google is the big bad brother in the world, um, you know, uh, probably listening to this and making sure they can figure out a way to either monetize this discussion with you or uh, or shut it down if I get too crazy. <laughs> yeah, you've been in this time, you built a team. What is the most important thing you actually focused on? Because we know what brings the revenue. We talked about the bottom line of the business and the nets, net profits in the business. Are, are you more focused into the operations? Are you focused more into getting more sales? Are you focused more into marketing, getting the word out about the business? What is it that you have the most focus on in your business? So it's, it's ever-changing and always uh, fo changing focus. Uh, today, here I am 14 years uh, into it. I was very focused for the last three months on improving our sales conversions because I was not the only sales guy. I have a sales team now. 
and I had to bring people in and then train them on all the different things we do. So I was very focused on sales. I'm now uh, shifting out of that and focusing back on the operations, uh, trying to improve some things and make things a little bit more efficient uh, in terms of profitability, but also being able to accept payments in the field and and doing some of the stuff. So I'm doing a lot more today of what we would call admin work. So it's it's always changing. You know, you think it's this, and then you get pulled back over there, and then you get pulled this way. And uh, that's that's actually the beauty, I think, for me of running the business is that I clearly have entrepreneurial ADD. <laughs> I like yeah. jumping around everywhere. Yeah. That, that happens. There's an opportunity there or something out there. You 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 go, you go looking and hunting. That that's that's what you do when there is something to an opportunity to to maybe take you to something bigger and grow. So from this, because you are focused, for example, in this period in, for sales, what are the processes that you do for sales? Like there are a lot of kind of sales from what I am seeing. There's the kind that you push the sales. There are the kind of the, what they call the relationship sales, the storytelling sales. So what type of form of sales are you using in your business? to attract more customers and retain existing ones? Yeah, great question. Uh, So two things. Um, First, to attract more clients and get more leads, um, we do a combination of our web SEO, uh, pay-per-click. We we are in three print uh, uh, things that go out, but I also do a a mix match of smaller networking uh, advertising to grow the leads. Uh, Our leads have been uh, steady for the last three years, which is where we want to be. We really got focused on the conversion of the leads. Um, and what we use today in our sales conversion process is we use the DISC profile to understand, um, number one, how we interact with people, what our style is. And then if you're familiar with the DISC profile, it's putting people in behavior categories, uh, extroverted, introverted, analytical, emotional, and then figuring out where you fit. But we use this as our part of our sales process to train our sales guys on how to identify the customer that's in front of you and try to figure out what we do first is we go through a needs analysis with your, in you in your house, uh, figure out a pro- the problem, uh, develop the potential solution, and then we'll give them the solution with pricing around there and then ask for the business and start to work it. So we have a 10-step sales process. Mm, okay. that, that, keep- that, that, that's very good, actually. You, you're like putting, putting your customers into multiple segments, maybe. So yep. you will have the, the best possible customer that fits your business. So we use it to identify good customers, but while our estimators are there, they're figuring out what these people want to hear. Um, sometimes the um, over-emotional person doesn't want to hear about all the details. Uh, they just want to hear how much and when. And the over-analytical person wants to hear every single detail of, you know, in this case, we're doing a podcast. What are all the things you have to do to do a podcast? I want to see one through 55. And then some people just want to say, just click go, record, and let me do this thing. <laughs> so we figure out that. Um and we figure out how to how to work with them to convert that sale. What we do to also to stay in front of customers is we do send out a newsletter. I have 16,000 customers today. We send out a newsletter every month and we stay in front of them. Um, and that newsletter, I'm very proud of because I had somebody help me develop it, but we'll start out with a video for me and then we'll hit on some things that are interesting around your house or some ideas that people can do. And our open rate on their newsletter has been phenomenal. Uh, we're in the 40% range where typically in my business is around 18 uh, percent. So oh, that's how we keep people coming back. Uh, but the sales conversion is where I've really been focused, as you can't tell. That's why I can go on and on about it because I've been working on it for the last three months. So let me ask you about this, for example, this newsletter. 
you are talking here about email marketing, right? In, for your business. Yes. So you mentioned you email one once once per month. Yes. So have you tested twice per month, four times per month, one time each week, or have you not tested that to see if different things change? I didn't just I didn't uh I didn't uh test like the A B testing that people talk about. I didn't test the frequency. I was given advice that once a month was probably all that somebody would want to hear from a handyman. Um, we did test things like video versus no video, mm. um, external links uh, to uh, other uh, interesting newsletters. And what I found was that the conversion or the open rates went up when I put more information in. Mm. And this is the classic thing of if you inform your customer, they'll come back to you. And then you have an informed, educated customer that will pro probably buy from you instead of you trying to hit them with, the sales pitch right away. Hey, call the trusted toolbox. We'll come out and fix your house. Well, tell me what you're about. Oh, well, here's an idea uh, for a home office. If you want to, you want to do something like this in your home office, take a look at these links. So he we would link outside of our website. And I was worried about that. And what I found was open rate went up. The biggest AB test that we did was video versus non-video. And when I had the video in there, that's when our uh, open rate skyrocketed. Yeah. So because of that, also, your team has to work with, with these clients, right? So how did you train your team in regards to sales, operation, and marketing, and the, these steps and integrating all of this to bring more, let's say, conversion to the business? Because we know that people in any business or organization need to have culture around the business itself. So how do you manage culture in your company and how do you train them? Great question. Uh, I'm a big proponent of culture, um, which is why I've even started a, a training company called the Home Service Institute, helping other home service companies train their technicians on customer service skills. Mm. But we also do that training for our first touch superstars. Those are the people who take the first phone call or the first email or the first chat through our website. And we talk about doing the same thing. It's a needs analysis. What, what do you need? Where do you live? How can we help you since you've chosen us uh, to come out and help you with your project? So we train them around the sales. And then we also incent them around booking appointments and selling upfront. And then uh, obviously with the sales conversion, the on-site estimates that we talk about, how you convert that. So I'm a big proponent of culture. And I'll give you this phrase. You have a culture in your company, whether you know it or not. And you got to identify if your culture is one that you want to have, where everybody is self-directed and you're working up that pyramid of success. And by and large, I think I have a very good culture where we're uh, in it together. Uh, it's a teamwork environment here in the office. Uh, now, my handymen out in the field are more like lone wolves. There are artists out there, artists like pianists and artists like portrait painters and artists like uh, guitar players and, and painters. But uh, they know they're part of a team and that team's helping them here in the office to go out there and do great things together. Mm. And by holding people accountable... Uh, that's where our culture has really uh, taken a step up in terms of customer service and doing customer first service tasks. What do you mean about, or what is the this lone wolf you talked about? Uh, did you do? Are you talking here about yourself and the wolf pack is your employees? <laughs> right. So let me tell you about my lone wolves. My lone wolves are handymen who um, either had a pickup truck or had a van, and they would go out and do the same work in people's houses, but they got tired of having to do all the paperwork. Um, or uh, finding more jobs or getting somebody to help them. But they really are a lone wolf. They were able to go out there and hunt and forage and take care of them their, themselves and take care of their families. 
So we invite them into our wolf pack and let them know that with our wolf pack, together we are mighty. And as long as you go out there and keep doing what you do in our wolf pack, you'll be able to uh, make more money and hit your own personal and professional goals. Maybe spend some more time with your family. Maybe have some weekends uh, where you can enjoy your family time. There is something called the vanity line and the sanity line. What what was that exactly? Because uh, I couldn't exactly define what's that in your business, or is it something that's about you and your team or yourself? Oh, I love that one. So I told you that in the beginning, I was hitting my top line revenue number. That's my vanity line. Hey, Chris, how big are you doing? Hey, man. And today we're uh, on our way to being over a $5 million a year company. That's really cool. That's a big vanity line, huh? I'm looking mm -hmm. pretty good, aren't I? Yes. Now there's the sanity line. How much of that am I keeping? Well, my sanity line was pretty bad. In fact, it was an insanity line. It was too low. I wasn't enough. I wasn't making enough for the amount of money I'm, I was bringing in. So my vanity line is how big of a company I am. My sanity line is how much am I actually keeping for myself and my own family. Mm. So that's the difference between vanity line and sanity line. This is what you're focusing on, on the revenue, or you focus more on the on the net profit? We focus, uh, and this is going to be the wrong answer. I focus more on the top line, uh, the revenue. Uh, it's, a, it's a sexier number to talk about with the team, uh, mm. as long as we're hitting it there. Um, we do have profitability reports that we do, and we look at those once a month. Um, so we do take a look at what um, what we call the gross profit is, because um, most of these guys can't control how much I spend on advertising or mm. how much I spend for electricity and water here in the office. But they can uh, they can focus on this is how much the job uh, revenue brought in, and this is what I'm going to get paid on it, and these are the materials I'm going to use for this job. And as long as that gross profit on that job looks correct, then we mm. know we've done well. Yeah. So I don't have the, um, I probably don't have the best focus on the net, um, but I do have uh, a real hyper focus on the top line. And then next number is gross profit, because that's the number that can change and can get affected by change. Yeah. So let me ask you here, because you're working with your team, what have you learned from one of them or some of them that was positive for you personally or impacted the business positively? Wow, too many to name, but I'll give you this one. Um, I am a very fast-paced guy. Um, I, yeah. do, uh, I do have that ADD in me where I'll run around and I'll do things 100 miles an hour. Uh, that phrase, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to get there fast. <laughs> uh, I was good that way. Um, so good advice that I have and my, my kind of my number two guy is uh, really my steady Eddie. And that's his name, Ed. Uh, he is the one who slows me down. He's my governor. He's the one who says, whoa, 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 hang on there, tough guy. Uh, you just said something and nobody understood what you were talking about. And you're about to walk out of the room and we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And he's the one who really helped me slow down and helped me be much more self-aware of my impact on others and how I was doing it. So I use him as kind of my mirror, my my sounding board. And the one today before I was going to spout off on on somebody and find out why they wanted to do something this way when I wanted it to be done that way. He said, why don't you have them come up with the idea and then you can help customize it. That way you guys are both invested. I'm like, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. If the team comes out with the idea, when, when we are talking, for example, about customer success, we want our employees to have, let's say, uh, an idea, an input, because if everything comes from the founder or the owner, they might they might not be 100% encouraged or motivated to certain things, right? But if it comes from certain employees or a 
ideas from one or how much two or three four of them so they will be more motivated to accomplish the goal yeah you, you say it, you said it very well and i agree with you because that is one thing when you look back personally um what are things that you are most proud of well in my case i am one of the things i'm most proud of is that i started a business and i earned the right to say i'm successful today and i can take a break if i just tell them what to do every day but they don't go out there and have a vested interest and earn it then they're not as proud of their work that they're doing they didn't get to share in the pride because they were just told to do this and just because they executed what i told them to do doesn't make them have that pride and that ownership in it so you're right uh doing that has has really um has really improved performance and i've got to remember that more so i just learned something from you too i gotta to keep doing that better yeah so so what was something that you did or told your team to do that you might be a success whether it's with and whatever aspect of the business it is and it turned out not a success it failed and how did you deal with that yeah so i asked uh the ladies in my office to come up with a new sales process and scripts for the call center and so they were ladies and i asked them to do it and i took off and i went out there and i went selling again i sold for you know five days and i've come in at the end of the day each day and do my thing and we had a meeting that next monday and when i got together with them they didn't do one thing and i uh i i got mad I'm like, what, what, what are you guys doing? What the hell? I, I told you, you guys had to do this. And they said, we didn't understand. That's what you wanted us to do. So I, I thought I had got them invested in the process at the beginning, but I didn't, I didn't ask and didn't direct to help them be successful. And along with the disc profile, one of the things that we were just implementing the disc profile for me to understand how to communicate better with people, I realized that I was communicating very quickly and very high level with people who needed details slowed down and written. And mm -hmm. so I went back to the drawing board, gave them the outline of what I wanted, uh, told them a little bit more, and then they were able to fill in the details. And now today they feel very successful about that. What do you think one of the biggest, let's say, aha moments that you discovered recently in your business or even back when you started back in 2008? Biggest aha moments. I, I I probably have them every week. <laughs> but uh, um, biggest aha, you know, uh, was probably with COVID. Um, when when COVID first started, uh, again, this is a worldwide problem, right? We all had to deal with it. Yeah. And uh, I remember on March 9th, uh, a guy didn't come to my office. We were supposed to meet. He was a consultant. And we're going to talk about some stuff. And he said, I can't, uh, you know, my, my business is going to be shut down. I'm not sure what to do with it. I got to think about it. And I'm not sure I want to come to your house because this COVID uh, or this uh, to your office because this COVID thing's bad. And I'm like, man, dude, you're like chicken little. Slow down, man. This ain't going to be that bad. How bad can it be? And on March 16th, uh, literally seven days later, I was shutting down my business. I was laying off people. I, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I was basically staring at shutting, not shutting down my business, but not knowing, not knowing where I was going to be. Now, what happened in my business is I became an essential workforce uh, because we were working in people's houses as things were breaking. Um, so we were able to continue. Only two months after March 16th in May, uh, we have a holiday here called Memorial Day. And the governor of Georgia uh, put out an edict and said that I'm not going to tell people they have to stay home anymore. You have to follow the right procedures, but you can go out and start doing your business as long as you do it correctly and safely. And from then on, people were working from home. And what do we do? We work in people's homes. So we were putting in 
offices and we were putting in extra doors. We were putting in insulation doors, <laughs> which I, you know, people so, had to so work from our house. How did you feel when, when the COVID started at the time when you felt like you might be losing your business? How was that emotionally into you? Yeah, I, um, there is a movie out there called Dr. Strangelove. And at the end of that movie, there is a famous uh, scene where the guy is riding a bomb like a cowboy down and he's waving his hands in the air going, Woo-hoo! and I, I felt like I was going to be riding my, I had just ridden this guy all the way up, uh, this guy being the trusted toolbox. And I was going to have to admit that I'm going to have to ride him down. How far? I don't know. Um, so I I did something with some good counseling when that, as I cut very deeply and very quickly. I actually sa- uh, sacrificed my net uh, pretty well, but uh, obviously I have a lot smaller base. They also did something here in the U.S. called the uh, Payment Forgiveness Act. And uh, if I brought everybody back, um, I could get a loan that would be forgiven if I brought people back and kept them on my payroll. So I was able to bring people back in two months, too, which is also really cool. Um, yeah, that, that, that's amazing, actually. Yeah. Not, uh, to me, uh, in general, like you, you know how it is in banking, for example, when corporation, when book corporation wants to cut costs, the first thing they do mostly in general, they cut out usually the small guys, the small employees, not the the big ones. <laughs> and, right. And they don't and they don't give them their job back when the opportunity comes knocking back. Oh, okay, we are now in a better situation. Come on, come on, guys, back and have your jobs back. So that's, yeah. that does not happen. No, that and that was very uh, exciting for me to be able to do that. I've kept the nucleus around, uh, which has been great. So uh, that was the aha moment that I was able to actually uh, ride that storm out. And uh, that was probably the biggest aha that I've had as of recently. Other ones, um, you know, we're we're still continually solving problems. That's what I do every day when I wake up. It's just, okay, time to solve some problems again today. Let's go get it going. That's what, that's what you're here for. And you love it. Yeah. The problems is what makes any business grow. What do you think about that? Because if we don't have any problems dealing with customers or in our own operations, in our sales or marketing departments, if problems doesn't exist, companies want to grow. Exactly right. Problems are getting yourself out of your comfort zone. But if it was easy, anybody could do it. That's that <laughs> phrase. You've heard it. Um, so if you can solve a problem better than other people can solve a problem, then you got a business advantage. And that business advantage uh, can help you and help you uh, be unique. And s- solving people's problems is a great, unique thing to do. So from, from your own perspective, when you started the business, it was chaotic times, right? So what would you say to people who want to start their own businesses? Like now, a lot of people talking now, it's about the recession and these kind of things. A lot of people uh, in the US had what they call the great resignation, right? A lot of people quit their jobs for certain reasons. What would you say to someone who wants to start their own business? What is it that they should look for? What, how, how they should find their opportunity? Because now there are a lot of opportunities, but the, the problem is like you mentioned, we are sometimes people when they want to do something, they are all over the place. They don't know where to put their attention on. So what's your advice and how to start a business? So first I would say, go out and get a business plan template. And uh, you got to generate ideas. Maybe you have the next great idea. Maybe you're going to launch the next rocket into space. Maybe you're going to go into a very 
uh, mundane business, and maybe you're just going to open up a retail store uh, selling alcohol, um, whatever that may be. Um, if you have an idea that somebody has already thought of and you have to do it, use the business plan to figure out, number one, how are you going to attract people to this business? Number two, how are you going to convert them to do business with you? Number three, how are you going to operate and do that so that you have a winning customer experience? And number four, how are you going to either hire people or put the right processes and technology in place to be able to scale the way you want to scale? And lastly, got to do the right performance. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing it right. And I've had somebody since tell me, if somebody would have challenged me with this, I was so optimistic about starting my business that I probably would have made this work. But the, here's the phrase. If you can take the income or the top line number that you think you have, cut it in half, and then you can take the bottom line number of what you get to keep. Your vanity goes in half, your sanity goes in half. If you can deal with all that, and you can ex deal with your expenses being double of what you thought and your top line being half of what you thought, and you can still have a business, then you got something that's worth pursuing. Go get it done. That's very important. So in your own business now, what are the some of the tools or resources that you are using between yourself and your employees? Uh, do you use certain resources or tools, whether it's online or offline? So I have a CRM system, which is the backbone of our company. It's uh, vended by a company called Bonago. Um, this, uh, when a lead comes in, we capture the lead, the account information, the, the data necessary. From that, we can schedule either a, a technician to do the job or the on-site estimate. From that, we can do our billing and invoicing. And then we uh, summary report everything to QuickBooks and we use QuickBooks online. Right now, all of my uh, data, our, our email is with Office 365. So we're Today, 98% all cloud-based. The only 2% would be my operations manual that I house here on a server, uh, some photos of the work we do, and, and some other marketing materials that we have. So yourself as a business owner, do you think or do you yourself read books, for example? And if you do read certain books, what's your favorite if you have one? I, I Well, of course, I love my own book. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug for the Zoo of the Wild. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, so probably my favorite book is going to be the E-Myth Principle, um, where Michael Gerber breaks down, uh, the difference between an entrepreneur, a manager, and a technician, uh, in those three roles. Um, from a sales perspective, what I've done with my sales guys, the guys I've been focusing on these last three months is where I developed my 10-step sales process is from a book called The First 100 Days of In-Home Selling by Jim Ryerson. Um, and that book, we're actually doing book club. So once a week in our sales meeting, we're going to go through a couple of chapters and it's it's broken down by days. So we read um, five or six days at a time and, and talk about them and, and uh, debate them and, and try to get ourselves better. So that's been a great book for us as well. Let me ask you this final question here. What do you think one takeaway for this episode could be just one thing for people who want to start a business to start like right now? Start right now. If you want to start your business, uh, go get a business plan template and start using that because it's going to help organize your thoughts. And if you do that and start to target people who can answer questions, here's one big secret that I will tell you that now I know. And that is other people in the business that you may go enter will probably be okay sharing information with you, which was also something we never did in corporate America. But they're okay with sharing information with you because we all know this is really hard. And, and if I tell you everything I'm doing, it's, it's it's not the secret sauce. The secret sauce is all about you 
problem solving and doing things and having to implement it. So <laughs> go out there and ask other people who are in that business with yeah, your business plan yeah. and ask them good pointed questions. There, there, there is no secret sauce. It just like you mentioned, it could be a plan and doing the plan until it works. Going left, going right, modifying and amending the plan until it actually works and you reach your destination. There is not, like there's no secret to, to success, right? That's right. Yeah, your path to success is not linear. It is all over the board. Yeah, but you just have to have like a big goal to reach it. That that, that that's that you have to do and keep pursuing it. Yep, relentless pursuit is also something that uh, you got to have as a as an entrepreneur. You have to have the stick to itiveness, the perseverance, the optimism, uh, the problem solving. You've got to have it. So, Chris, where can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, I'd love for people to get in touch with me. Uh, you can go out there and uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Chris Lalamia. Uh, that's L-A-L-O-M-I-A. There's not many of us out there. I'm on Instagram. I'm the customer service dot freak uh, because I'm all into <laughs> customer service. Uh, you can find me that way. Or you can just email me, Chris, at thetrustedtoolbox.com because we're the Trusted Toolbox and the Home Service Institute here in Atlanta. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris, for being here today with me on this episode of the Success Secret Podcast. Great insights. All right. I enjoyed it. Yeah, really. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.